And thank you to, uh, to Danielle for our action figures. Come on, look at these. This is, this is creative. Isn't this great? Uh, you'll notice um, if, if you didn't get one on the way in, we also have these um, journals. So Mike's at the back. If you didn't receive one, just put your hand up. He'll, he'll get one to you uh, as you sit. And the purpose of the journals is as we go through the Minor Prophets this summer, um, you can both have them here and do some sermon notes if you'd like on each of the weeks. Uh, but we've also made a page for every day. So you can do some journaling at home. As Corey said uh, last week in his introduction, the idea is that we wouldn't just talk about the Minor Prophets on Sunday morning, but the idea is that we would really dig into them during the week as well. And so we would like to challenge you, and the staff is challenged as well, to, uh, to read through the Minor Prophets this summer along with the series. And so the idea is that uh, we would preach on one of them, and we're going to go in what's called canonical order. That just means the canon being the, the rubric of, of Scripture. So the order that they're in in Scripture. That's how we're going to go through them. So that is not the order up here. It's kind of a challenge. You have to figure out while I preach which one, although I think their names are at the bottom. I might give it away. All right. So much for that. Um, and so as you read through the Minor Prophets during the week, you can take a page each day and, and write some reflection on it, however you want to break it up. Why don't we take a minute and say a word of prayer. Father, you are faithful indeed. Your promises are good, and you have proven that over and over and over again. Every time we think that you won't come through, every time we're wondering where you are, you show up and you remind us that you are good and that you are faithful. Father, as we uh, get set to explore the minor prophets in the Old Testament, we ask that we would understand them in their context as words to your people, to Israel but that we would also understand them as living words, words that continue to speak to your church and to us individually. And so may your word be heard, and may your word be adhered to. Amen. Well, for those who weren't uh, with us last week, we had a great Introduction to our summer series that was brought to us by Corey Petlars. Corey teaches at Alberta Bible College, especially in the area of Old Testament. And he was, he was just jazzed. He was really excited to be able to, to introduce this topic. It's something he's very passionate about, and I'm sure you caught that if you were with us. Uh, we're calling the, the series, Who You Calling Minor? With the idea that although these are very short books, so the longest of them is 14 chapters. Quick math says seven days in a week. The maximum we're asking you to read is two chapters a day. And for a lot of them, you're going to have more days than you will chapters. So maybe reading through it twice or three times would be appropriate. And they're also called, uh, and Corey made mention of this, the Book of the Twelve. Uh, so that's typically what um, in, in Judaism they would call this chunk of scripture at the end of their scriptures. If, if you'll notice, it's right at the end of the Old Testament. So they, 
the book of Malachi ends, and then we move to the New Testament with the Gospels. And so the book of the 12 is this idea that it's not just 12 individual prophets that really have nothing to do with each other except they didn't write a whole lot, but there's actually something that ties it together. There's a unity within it that makes it one book, the book of the 12. And Corey gave us some great rules for reading the book of the 12. So we're going to come back to those throughout the summer. Uh, we're going to use those as much as we can, but I do encourage you to, uh, to use those as you read it throughout the week as well. There are good rules for reading. In fact, this morning I'm going to uh, look at a couple of those too. Uh, let's see. Where are we here? So this week is Hosea, by the way, if, if we haven't talked about that. Maybe I should, I should find a little stand I can put them up on, maybe highlight them. Uh, Hosea has 14 chapters, so it is one of the two longest books. So you're going to be reading a little bit more this week than you normally do. This morning is going to be a, a little bit different. I feel like for the last month or two months, I've said that every time I come up on stage. At some point, different becomes the new normal here, right? I'm going to do a, a brief 10 or 15 minute introduction to Hosea, uh, some themes, and actually we're going to look at three different ways that we ought to read the start of Hosea. And remember, the start of Hosea is the start of the book of 12. So it really introduces what this book, what these prophets are all about. So I'm going to suggest three different ways to read the beginning. And then uh, after 10 or 15 minutes, I'm, I'm going to invite Vienna Moliette up on stage. Uh, Vienna has been meeting with our missions committee, and uh, they've agreed to take her on as a part of our, our missions giving. So we'll go through that a little bit and talk to Vienna about what she's up to and how that fits with our mission here at Oak Park and how it even fits with uh, some of the themes that come out of these readings from Hosea. So let's begin uh, by reading just chapter 1, 1 to 9, okay? So we're looking really at the first three chapters of Hosea, but we're just going to read together chapter 1, 1 to 9. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Setting the context. This is when he lived. These are the people. These are the kingdoms, right? Corey talked about how it split into the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Hosea's wife and children it says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diplam, and she conceived and she bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. I'm going to catch up on my slides, sorry. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. No mercy, no pity. 
For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, not my people, lo ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Here's the thing about God, friends, and here's the thing about God's prophets. There's no tiptoeing around sensitive topics. There's no ignoring sensitive topics. When Corey said last week that they, these prophets were marked by their countercultural witness and that by and large they were disliked and they were shunned by the people in power of their day, well, you can see as the book of 12 begins just why that might be the case. Go take a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Why? Because, because the land, because the peoples of Israel, that northern tribe, have committed great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, why wouldn't that be a popular message? I wonder. So what I want to do is offer uh, just a couple different ways to read this idea, this story about Hosea and his wife, Gomer. The narrative takes the first three chapters and it really does serve as an introduction to the whole book of the Twelve. Now, I want to say up front that, that the rhetoric here is, is a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? It's a bit shocking for us. I'm going to continue to use it, not because I'm trying to be needlessly provocative, but because I'm trying to be faithful to Scripture and how it puts it. Because a bit of uncomfortableness tends to arrest our attention so that we hear what the message is of Hosea very clearly. And so friends, here's the thing. When, when Hosea prophesies to Israel, he means Israel. <laughs> That's exactly what he means. That's that historical context that Corey was talking about. In the book, it, he actually uses synonymously Ephraim or Jacob. This, these are the northern tribes that are called Israel. And that, at this point, you can see from this little graphic that they're separated from the southern tribes, which are usually called Judah. And he does address Judah, just not at the same depth that he's speaking to his own people of Israel. He's calling Israel back to a life of devoted loving, to covenant faithfulness. Remember, Corey brought up that idea that covenant runs through this whole book the whole book of the Twelve. This idea that it's not a contract between God and his people. Contracts are based on minimums, right? If you do this minimum, then I will have to meet you on this. No, the idea of a covenant is so much more than a contract. The idea of a covenant is I will give all to you. And I know that you promised to give all to me. There's no minimum standards to meet like a contract. 
And so these people have, have a covenant relationship with the one true God who has called them in a special way to be a light to the nations, who had given them this very special promised land. But Hosea is warning them that if they don't return to this covenant faithfulness, the superpower of the day, remember Corey introduced these superpowers that these minor prophets talk about. And in this case, it's Assyria. If they don't return to this covenant faithfulness, then Assyria will make very short work of them. And so this is the very first way that we read Hosea and Gomer. It is a very visual, very real, enacted prophecy of God and Israel. And I don't want us to miss that. But here's the part that gets a little more uncomfortable for us. This isn't just about Israel back in the day with the superpower Assyria. You see, it's God's living word. And his words and his actions that he gives to Hosea about Israel are also words that speak to us today as a part of the church. Words that call and convict us. Even more uncomfortably, they convict me and you personally. You see, we forget and we neglect, and we pursue other lovers, lesser loves. And our infidelity to that covenant relationship that we have with God brings nothing but shame upon the Lord. He is our first and our true love. The book of the Twelve, the Minor Prophets that we're exploring this summer, is a book about God pursuing us. It's a book about God pursuing us in the same way that Hosea pursued Gomer. Desperately trying to maintain a covenant relationship with us, his church. With us individually, collectively, as we give ourselves over to lesser loves. And whatever the reason is for us playing the whore, and that's exactly how Hosea puts it, why do you play the whore? Whether we're seduced by the things of this world, whether, whether we love the raisin cakes, that's actually what Hosea says. They love the raisin cakes. And what he means is that these were the treats, these were the, the sweets that were served at the festivals. The festivals that served other gods. Or the festivals that just served pleasure, served no God at all, but the seeking of pleasure. Or maybe we, we play the whore because we think it's all we're worth, that we aren't worthy of a covenant partner of the magnitude of God. Or we play the whore because it's easy, because it gets us attention. Whatever the root of our infidelity to God, the result is the same. God will track us down and take us back. You see, we cannot run far enough to escape him. We cannot turn our backs often enough that he stops caring. We can't ignore him so that he will not bind himself still to us. He will chase us. 
He will head to the red light district and he will pay the price. Hosea finds Gomer in chapter 3. Having run away and abandoned he and their children. And just as Hosea says, the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. He doesn't demand that she return to him. He doesn't say, oh, you're mine. Oh, we have this covenant relationship. Get back here. No, he steps up and he pays for her. He buys her back. He pays the price to restore that covenant relationship. So you see, it's, it's not a metaphor, it's not a parable, it's real life. It's a living example of the length and the depth that God will go to in order to restore covenant relationship. God in Christ was the ultimate buyback. When we had run away and sought other gods, when we had given ourselves to the pursuit of money, when we had sought power for power's sake, when we had given ourselves over to hedonism, to sex, to lust. And it cost Christ more than 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley. That was the price that Hosea paid for Gomer. He paid the price of death on a cross. So let's talk for a minute about covenant faithfulness. You see, I want us to read a story not just about Israel and their God, covenant partnership, not just about that same God and his church, the people who have been grafted into Israel, but I want us to read it a little bit different this morning as well, a third way. That is, what if the church was Hosea and not just Gomer? Isn't this the message of what the church is called to anyway? Aren't we called to love, to pursue, to bind ourselves to the least and the lowest? To the culturally unloved, to the shunned, to the rejected, to the outcast? Isn't the mission of Jesus on earth the same as he passes on to us? John 20, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus hung out with sinners, not saints. When they asked him why, he said, those who aren't sick don't need a doctor. I've come to call those who are lost, those who are wayward, those who have played the whore, back to repentance, back to right relationship with God. So then what does it look like for us to pursue the prostitute in love? To buy back the unfaithful at a costly price? whether that's literally or figuratively. 